hello funky listeners and every time i say that i am afraid i'm to be like hello funky listeners <laughs> surprisingly i don't think we've ever said that yeah i know right freudian slip mm. uh funky listeners. hello funky hello funky mm. listeners and this is your host kyle and this is your host peter hello and welcome it's funk radio once again for the 240th time wow We've only been doing this for, count some fingers, six years. More than six years now. It's like six and a half. Oh, jeez. I'm old. We're old. I know. Speaking of uh, old-timey things, we're Mm. going to dive into the completely untalked about uh, genre of music called low fidelity, or lo-fi, I guess, as it's abbreviated. Um, Now, which recent episode forked into this one i think there's had, a couple of different ways well, that it could have it was the one you talked about the mini cassettes was that it because i know we also yeah. talked about bluetooth but maybe that was no it was the mini cassettes because remember we found out there was like a cassette culture and there and then people that were making lo-fi music were using uh, those yeah. little tape recorders and shit right yeah gotcha okay. uh so yeah this is kind of a topical spinoff of that so i guess to first define what lo-fi music is for those of you that don't know generally it's an aesthetic of recorded music where the sound quality is lower than i guess what you would call contemporary musical standards aka high fidelity mm. where the imperfections in the recording and production are actually audible and not you know cleaned up um as they usually are in post-production of music Things that you often associate with lo-fi music are things called like harmonic distortion, uh, analog warmth, which is kind of the sound quality of, of say, a record recording as opposed to something that's digital. Mm. Other things such as misplayed notes, environmental interference, you know, where you hear things in the background. Mm. Uh, Phonographic imperfections such as like crackling of records, mm. tape hiss, and other things. Um, it's basically just like a rustic, for lack of a better term, style of music that mm. uh, was popularized in the uh, 70s and 80s, but really kind of exploded in the 90s, which we'll mm. get into. But yeah, it's it's a it's a genre it's a s- phonetic style of music that makes things sound in intentionally imperfect if that makes sense Hmm. so a couple of thoughts yeah like for one this isn't like a genre or a style in the sense that it follows a certain types of instrumentation or no vocals or anything this is literally like the way that it's produced yeah it's not tied down to any one specific music genre although it does seem a bit more prominent in rock music Hmm. um it's yeah, it's more of a recording style mm. than it is, say, genre defined. Now, some genres, funny enough, kind of did propagate due to this style of music, but this this style of music wasn't specific to one genre. Mm. I mean, artists that I guess pioneered this uh, uh, lo-fi style. You you have artists every, everywhere from the Beach Boys to Paul McCartney from the Beatles to um, one guy we'll talk about named R. Stevie Moore, who was really popular, um, guided by voices, back, pavement, these are 90s bands. 
And yeah, I mean, this, this lo-fi sound really kind of goes back all the way to like, I want to say like the fifties, um, just because of people home recording, you know? Yeah. And I, I was going to say, I don't know exactly. I mean, I mean, heck you did all the research here, but I want to guess somewhere in the fifties or sixties is when they started to market like hi-fi mm-hmm. either mm-hmm. records or, um, stereo systems. You know, I think that really became kind of like a buzz term somewhere yeah. in that rough timeline. That that also brings up a point of, because I think hi-fi 50 years ago versus hi-fi now, or lo-fi, if you will, mm-hmm. 50 years ago versus now, I think is probably different. So this is one of those things where I feel like the definition of it almost shifts along in time. Oh, absolutely. Relative to yeah where you are now. In fact... In fact, the term low fidelity as like an actual definitive term didn't even appear until the 90s. Okay. So, it you know, for 40 years of, it, of its existence, they didn't even call it lo-fi. They called it everything from, okay. you know, garage rock to, you know, homebrew music to home recordings, blah, blah, blah. Uh, yeah, the term lo-fi didn't even come about until the 90s when they started to kind of say, wait a second, people are actually doing this on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> so right. we'll get into that a little bit here but yeah and uh, really until the 90s it was more kind of coined as what's called DIY music as it and people could you know record albums or tracks at home without having to be in a professional studio mm-hmm. um, and it kind of created more of that amateur sound about mm-hmm. it uh, but yeah it wasn't called lo-fi for a very long time I see so yeah, like I said, lo-fi goes back all the way to the 50s, but we're going to start kind of historically in the early 70s when it when one of the first big kind of lo-fi albums came out. Mr. Paul McCartney, after he left L. Beatles, came out with a solo album in 1970 called McCartney. Very creative. <laughs> and the entire album was home recorded at his house hmm. uh, and was actually one of the best-selling albums of that year, but because of its, uh, I guess, quote-unquote, lo-fi quality, it was actually critically panned. They basically mm-hmm. were just like, what the hell is he doing? Like, re- you know, re- recording, you know, crap music in his kitchen rather than, like, you know, doing it in a proper studio. I can see that. So, I can see that reaction. That makes sense to me. Yeah, until, I mean, he may have done it for with an intended effect, but yeah, right. most critics at the time were just like, you're Paul frickin' McCartney, what are you doing sounding like some, you know, amateur yeah. uh, amateur band guy? But I, I um, guess we can, I we would have to dig further, I guess, but I, I would assume that that was an intentional choice on his part. I would assume so, yeah, or maybe just, you know, him kind of futzing around artistically and, you know, mm-hmm. not wanting to do it in a studio, so right. just playing around. Um, we did uh, find a song off the album called Every Night okay. uh, that we'll play a little clip of. And you can kind of get the sense of that kind of, like, you know, home-recorded sound that he's going for. Every night I want you to lay out And every day I want to do But tonight I just want to stay in and be with you And be with you it doesn't sound bad. It sounds a lot more stripped down than a studio recording. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, it doesn't. Exactly. It, does, it sounds better than I was expecting. Yeah, it's exactly. It's stripped down, but you can tell he like still put some forethought into it. He didn't just you know, plus press play on a tape recorder and play an acoustic guitar. Right. But uh, yeah, it's very kind of un, that unplugged style of sound, and I mm-hmm. guess you know they were used to kind of the high, you know highly produced Beatles stuff. So they were like, what the what the hell is this crap? Mm-hmm. So that was kind of one of the first big kind of you know lo-fi pioneer style albums as time progressed into the late 70s and the early 80s you began to see an emergence of punk rock and new wave music Mm. which this really caused a big explosion in uh lo-fi and sort of home recording music because all these punk rock bands were you know performing in you know garages or clubs and just recording shit and passing it around Mm -hmm. um this also was kind of the birth of cassette culture in the late Mm. 70s and 80s which may be a future episode topic i don't know um but uh yeah this kind of you know do-it-yourself mentality really kind of heralded a new wave of artists saying wait a second we don't need to be part of some big label we can just record the show ourselves throw it on a cassette or in by the 80s uh, cd and you know basically get known that way it was kind of a it was kind of the first wave of of i guess what you would call indie labels yeah well i'm i'm seeing it both as kind of like for one it's like a cultural shift in you know punk and new wave and that sort of thing but it's also a technological shift where mm-hmm, exactly. now people have the means to record at home whereas in Really, a couple decades before this, that wasn't really a thing. Yeah, no, I, I exactly, I completely agree. I think the technology um, allowed them to have simple, like, four- and eight-track recorders where they could mm-hmm. mix their own music, whereas before, you would have to go to a recording studio to do that. Right. Because the machines were so big until they were mm. shrunk down to uh, home size. Punk rock, obviously, you have your bands like, you know, Sex Pistols, New York Dolls, blah, blah, blah. New Wave is kind of like your talking heads, maybe kind of the clash, kind of all of this. A lot of this stuff came out of England, obviously. The funny thing is that fans of this genre of music tended to be mostly, you know, white, got white middle class guys. Um, hey, like you and me. Yay. Don't get me started on the erosion of the middle class, Peter. <laughs> I was like, I'm fading away. <laughs> it's like Back to the Future. I I just got Thanos. <laughs> so so yeah, this sort of cassette culture, this lo-fi culture that exploded, became really popular among uh, middle class white guys, for lack of a better term. And the epicenters of the of this genre was in mostly New York and London. And and part of the reason I think you know this white middle-class male thing leached onto this is because since these genres uh, were initially sort of underground, they were passed around, they kind of stayed local, so to speak, until, you know, Mm. a few bands here or there got, you know, enough uh, fame to become, you know, radio-friendly or whatever. But yeah, at this point, lo-fi was still kind of more of an underground thing. One of the biggest guys that came out of this who, funny enough, I never heard of, but I guess he's considered kind of one of the godfathers of home recording music, is this guy named uh, R. Stevie Moore. 
And for those of you that don't know, because I didn't, he's a singer-songwriter who pioneered lo-fi music. Uh, he's actually still performing music and still writing, like, new shit. <laughs> so oh, wow. he's basically been doing music since, like, what does it say here? Since basically, like, the 70s. So he's what, been... Uh, what, like, genre of music is he? Kind of, kind of new wave. I don't okay. really know. Uh, kind of a cross between punk and new wave, but y- you'll, you'll get it when you hear it. Um, cool. But I well, do. Should we, we hear it? I think we should. We uh we have a song here that we're gonna play by him called "I Like to Stay Home," and I picked this song because it reminded me of myself. I like to. I was stay gonna home. say I can relate to that. Yeah. Yeah, he's a he's an interesting guy, hmm. a little little eccentric, but I kind of dig it. Yeah. Um, yeah, <laughs> the music video recorded for this is basically just him in a bathrobe, like reading I think a magazine or something, <laughs> while singing the song. Hmm. You'll kind of hear that sort of simplistic reverby sound in a lot of these different songs. It seems to be kind of a a mainstay of this kind of lo-fi genre. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't know how that's achieved, you know, homebrew wise, if they just like record themselves and then play the track over itself, like a reverb type type of thing or how they do it. It might have to do with the type of stuff they're recording with. Um, True. I don't like, I feel like that's a whole world of music that I just don't really know is yeah. straight recording up like equipment. studio recording equipment. Yeah. Like, same it's kind here. of like a big blind area for me. Same here. That's definitely uh, something we should maybe do an episode on later just to ed- educate ourselves. Because, yeah, you're right. I have no, I don't know, I barely know what like a four track recorder is. Yeah. I just used to record stuff on my yak back as a kid. and <laughs> <laughs> That's some real lo fi right there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You'd like record like 10 seconds of something and it would play back and be like. <laughs> what was the. Uh, you remember? This is. I, I'm. This is completely derailing the conversation. What was the uh, so we okay? Sorry, we a little while ago we did a short episode on the like the Fisher Price record player with the colored yes. plastic discs. Yes, and I don't remember who it was. It was some obscure band, but they released a single on that format. Oh yeah, I feel like that's the ultimate in lo-fi. That is the ultimate lo-fi, or you know what the ultimate in lo-fi is? Is somehow releasing a song on like a music box. Oh my gosh! <laughs> that's the ultimate lo-fi. Well, that's basically um, what the that toy was. Yeah, touche. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking those little tiny ones you have to like rotate by hand or whatever. That'd be pretty cool. That would be kind of cool, actually. Like I released my first single. Oh, what, what's where can I listen to it? Hands them tiny music box. <laughs> You'll listen to my. Uh, You'll listen music box. <laughs> It's he raps over the music box, and you have like a guy in the background like furiously t- turning it while he's like rapping. <laughs> he's my hype man. So yeah, um, our, so that was our Moore. Stevie Moore. Yeah, um, so this kind of persisted through the eighties until about the nineties, uh, and this is where the term when the term lo-fi actually gained mainstream 
knowledge was when it was first featured as, as a headline in an April 1993 New York Times article. Hmm. It, the headline was, Lo-Fi Rockers Opt for Raw Over Slick. And basically it was talking about, obviously, you know, the grunge era was a huge era for lo-fi because a lot of these different grunge artists weren't, you know, at least with their initial albums, they weren't being heavily produced. They were self-recording. Uh, they hmm. They were... The entire concept of grunge is kind of like, you know, an unrefined nature to it. And in this article, um, the writer Matt Dale, I'm probably butchering his name. I'm going to quote a little snippet from the article, actually. He says, quote, Alternatively called lo-fi, referring to the rough sound quality resulting from such an approach, or DIY, an acronym for do-it-yourself, this tradition is distinguished by an aversion to state-of-the-art recording techniques. In a world of sterile, digitally recorded top 40, lo-fi elucidates the raw seams of the artistic process. So, well said. It, but yeah, he's basically saying like this, this surge in lo-fi music, especially in the 90s, is kind of a rejection of the almost overproduced sterile pop music of prior decades like the 80s. Hmm. Similar to, I guess you could argue that this resurgence of records is a rejection of the over-digitalization of music listening and the, the, right. intan the intangibility of it. A bunch of different bands from grunge to artists like Beck uh, really kind of had this lo-fi style. Two bands that came up uh, in this, I guess, for the 90s, one being Beck... Um, mm -hmm. Because in 1994, he came out with a single called Loser, which was actually recorded in his kitchen, hmm. and it reached the Billboard Top 10, which kind of propelled him to become the most recognizable sort of low, quote-unquote lo-fi artist. Hmm. First, we'll play a little clip of Loser, and then uh, I'll talk about the other 90s band that kind of swirled around the same circles as Beck. So this is uh, Loser by Beck. can kind of see how it has a little bit of a that sort of reverby similarity to our stevie moore um mm -hmm. but as you said peter it, um while we were listening to it it sounds pretty good for being recorded in a kitchen i mean um, i guarantee you if i try to record music in my apartment it wouldn't sound anywhere near as good as any of these people so yeah it's kind of depressing know. how how good they sound for being you know doing this stuff at their house i feel like lo-fi <laughs> is a very relative term touche so yeah, that was Beck, who kind of became synonymous with lo-fi in the 90s. Uh, another band that became really big then was this band called Guided by Voices. And funny enough, when people started kind of associating them with the term lo-fi, um, their band leader, Robert Pollard, actually kind of tried to uh, distance himself from that movement. Hmm. Uh, and he said that even though the band was being quote, championed as pioneers of the lo-fi movement, he wasn't really familiar with the term, and he explained that, quote, a lot of people were picking up Tascam machines at the time, using a four-track, became common enough that they had 
to find a category for it. DIY, lo-fi, whatever. But yeah, he's basically saying the same thing, is that a lot of these emerging artists, because they didn't have the means to, you know, go and uh, record at a major label, they were picking up these cheap recording machines and recording themselves and distributing themselves and, you know, music journalists basically just came up with this term lo-fi, but to them it was really just like, this is how you do it. <laughs> they were just like, right. hey, you know, this shit sounds good and I've recorded in my kitchen. I don't care. Uh, yeah, it seems like the... I mean, I'm probably generalizing here, but it seems like the the attitude of people who would be experimenting with this kind of music would also probably be the same kind of people who aren't really concerned about jumping labels. onto like labels of yeah certain things like oh this is what we are more of just like hey let us do our thing exactly so so since we talked about guided by voices i also wanted to play a little clip of one of their songs uh i think this is one of their most popular songs it's called i am a scientist So yeah, that was I Am a Scientist by Guided by Voices. Kind of a similar sound to Beck. Yeah, the, the lo-fi aspect is pretty prominent in this one. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It kind of, yeah, it sounds very like it's, you know, he like he recorded it off in the distance or he's far away from wherever the recording was. Yeah. We're doing a lot of talking, aren't we, Kyle? Too much, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I bet some listeners would agree with that. Um, well, why don't we take a break from us talking to a pre-recorded thing of us talking? That sounds great. Now I don't have to do the work. Hey, Kyle. Hey, Peter. Do you know what a website is? No. It's a thing on the internet and you can go there and it's fun. Is that where I can find things to do? Yes, you can find things to do there. (laughs) Uh... GetYourFunk.com is a website for funk radio, and there are, you can find our, our episodes there, and you can listen to them, and you can download them, and we have a tip jar. Do you like money, Kyle? I love money. Well, people will give us money there at GetYourFunk.com. Yay! <laughs> Do you have a favorite episode of funk radio? I like the one about butts. Well... At getyourfunk.com, you can use the search bar and type in butts, and it'll pull up our episode that we did a while back about butts. Yay! And now back to our previously scheduled content. We're back. This is us talking, not the previous us talking. This is us in real time right now, live from New York. It's Saturday night. It's actually Sunday night here. Shit! (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i thought it was saturday all day <laughs> um all right so where were we so yeah th- this genre or sound or whatever propagated throughout the 90s but as you know technology advanced heavily in the ni- 90s and 2000s more and more artists i guess were dubbed quote-unquote bedroom musicians 
they looked to more and more vintage style equipment to achieve kind of more authentic lo-fi sounds as the technology to make things sound more and more uh, pristine evolved in the 90s and 2000s, you know, with music editing programs like Pro Tools, auto-tuning, and all that shit. Uh, kind of as the technology stopped being a gap between the professional... Yes, yes that, exactly. Professional. As, as technology allowed ordinary people to create, you know, high fidelity or studio quality recordings, these lo-fi artists began kind of regressing back into purposely recording on lower quality equipment to separate themselves right. uh, from all these other, you know, high quality production bedroom musicians. Well, basically they were, I mean, like once technology gets good enough, it's not lo-fi anymore, no matter how cheap it is, more or less. So exactly. you, you have to go backwards in time. Exactly. Uh, one of the artists that came out of this time period was uh, this guy who I thought it was a girl uh, named Ariel Pink. Um, Sounds like a girl to me. I know, right? And he, yeah, he became big in kind of the indie scene in like the early 2000s. He definitely has a similar sound to kind of like Guided by Voices and stuff. He's kind of a weird dude too, but his, his, uh, what do you call it? Even his music videos that he does for his songs have like a super retro vibe. Like they have like that VHS warbliness and like chromatic aberration and shit. Hmm. So they're kind of fun. Since I didn't say the name of the song. <laughs> Shut up, Peter. <laughs> We're going to play a little clip of one of his uh, songs, Feels Like Heaven. Yeah, if any of your listeners have time to check out the video on YouTube, it's pretty trippy. Yeah, it's uh, feels very mid to late '80s, I guess. Yeah, and that's the funny thing. It does seem like a lot of this, uh, at least the the stuff that came out of the '90s and 2000s, a lot of the lo-fi aspect of this is probably birthed out of a, out of a bit of nostalgia mm. as well. That's um, a good point. So yeah, a lot of this music does have kind of that almost like. 80s sound to it a little bit yeah so i'm sure a lot of these guys probably grew up in the 80s um so yeah <laughs> we finally come full circle into the this is kind of funny <clears throat> so when i first wanted to do an episode on lo-fi mm-hmm. uh i thought lo-fi was a very specific thing and i'm an idiot for thinking that because Why? basically i don't know if you've ever been on youtube peter i've never been on youtube What's the YouTube? Um, there's a lot of those like streaming YouTube music things where it's just like constant streaming music, whatever, on like a YouTube video. Mm, right. Um, and there's ones that became really popular in the last couple of years that I started listening to called th- like lo-fi hip hop or lo-fi music to study and sleep to or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just this super chill, ambient sort of instrumental music and because it was labeled lo-fi i thought that's what lo-fi music was 
So oh, I'm like, like, oh, like I'm, chill hop music, basically? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I was like, oh, I want to do an episode on this because I like the style of music. Uh, but okay. then when I went and researched lo-fi, I'm like, oh my god, it's so much bigger than this. And I uh, got very confused. So I guess you could um, say maybe that's just one iteration or offshoot of lo-fi. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Rather than it, it being the entire thing. Yeah, this is basically like lo-fi kind of breaking into like electronic music. Okay. Um, uh, so in the late 2010s, this form of music, lo-fi hip-hop, chill-hop, whatever, uh, became popular among YouTube streamers. And by, you know, the next year in 2018, several of these different channels, like I described, you know, they were, they're labeled silly things like lo-fi hip-hop, you know, music to study to, or lo-fi chill wave music to sleep to, or just whatever, like super chill ambient shit you put on the background when you're not really actively listening. And these YouTube channels became insanely popular where like the, the top ones have like four or five million subscribers. The funny thing is, uh, people kind of theorize that the reason that this style of music became popular. I don't know if you ever, Peter, you ever watched, uh, the channel Toonami or Adult Swim in like the early 2000s when we were like, what, 12? I mean, I'm familiar uh, enough with it, yeah. Yeah, in between those shows or in the, during some of the commercial breaks or when they were announcing new shows, they would have these, like, I guess, graphical bumpers where it would be just like, oh, that's really, not, like just basically like the title cards, basically. They would just have, text yeah. It would be uh, like really yeah, random I'm kind of shit. Remembering this. Yeah, and, this yeah, is familiar. But they would they would be playing this like chill ambient hip hop music yeah. over the over these bumpers. Yeah. I remember specifically because in the mid two thousands or whatever, I got into Dragon Ball Z. And mm. one of the only places you could watch it was on Toonami. They would have these super chill, like hip hop y sounding uh almost like sweeps in between the um the episodes and i just yeah. kind of came to associate that with anime i know it sounds really weird but like because you know that and pokemon were like really my first mm. two exposures to anime yeah i don't know i i had this weird association in my head between anime and hip-hop music um that's making me want to watch samurai shampoo again I was just gonna say the f the funny thing is that all culminated years later with Samurai Champloo because exactly like that whole show had like a hip hop sort of underpinning to it and mm -hmm. it was super dope. So <laughs> that like like I said, it's just funny because you know when I wanted to do this whole episode, I'm like, oh, you know this shit's really cool. I want to talk about this, and then I'm like, oh wait, this is only a tiny sl sliver of a nugget <laughs> of what this uh, genre really is. That's pretty funny. Uh, the funny thing, though, is that because this, you know, lo-fi hip-hop style of music exploded in popularity in the last, you know, three or four years, mm. it and it exploded through YouTube, it actually birthed some lo-fi artists out of YouTube, such as artists like uh, Joji and Freddie Jakeem. Uh, funny thing about mm -hmm. Joji that I read, he was... Apparently, one of the two original inventors, or I guess, memifiers of the Harlem Shake, <laughs> and that oh, got him weird. a shit ton of fame. Huh. And then, and then somehow he parlayed that into a music career. Let me huh. see. Let's 
see. We live in a weird time. I know, right? But the guy I wanted to highlight actually was uh, Freddie Jakim, um, because he exploded so much that his in his sort of lo-fi electronic career that he actually uh, helped produce albums for people like J. Cole, Aloe Black, and Joey Joey Badass. I don't know who Joey Badass is. I don't either, but he sounds like a badass. I know, I'm scared. He's so badass, his name has dollar signs for the S's. Does he sign his name like that? Like, you know, he's doing like an autograph. Does he actually like do dollar signs? Like when he signs a check? Yeah. Like, does a check clear when you sign a thing that's not a letter? Um, I wanted to feature Freddie Jakeem. Um, we found, I found a song of his that he produced fairly recently. It's called Eleven and it's super chill. The best way I can put this genre, it's like almost like a mixture of like hip hop, jazz, and like crackly record sounds in the background, I guess. Well, yeah, I, I mean, know. basically at this point, we're just into chill hop now. Yeah, um, exactly. And that's pretty cool. I, yeah, I like that. That was good. So, yeah, that's cool. Um, so, is that kind of where we are now then? That's pretty much, yeah, that's pretty much where we are now. I'm sure that lo fi, especially with the you know, explosion of uh, SoundCloud and, you know, everyone Mm. being an artist now. Lo-fi has kind of spread out to a bunch of different genres from, you know, rap to to EDM to indie music. So, yeah, it's it's everywhere. Well, Uh, something to consider, too, kind of in line with what we were talking about earlier, how the term lo-fi kind of is relative to where you are currently in time. mm Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, 20, 30 years from now, today's modern music may very well be considered lo-fi. Not necessarily the intentional genre-specific lo-fi, but more of like technologically speaking. We consider modern pop music today to be like, well, I mean, that's pretty much as good as it can get. Mm-hmm. in terms of studio quality and everything but you know it could very well keep going later on who knows true yeah it's kind of like one of those things where like you're right as music quality evolves is the current quality kind of kind of going to be considered lo-fi or is lo-fi still going to be more associated with like the analog side of music where you have things like tape hiss and record scratches and pops that you know, you're ne- you're never going to get digitally, you know, no matter how much you degrade it. I am curious if in the next couple of decades, if music, like pop music, or just any, you know, modern music will become more of a hybrid between digital and uh, analog. I see what you're saying. Uh, that's a good question. Because, like, I feel like we've gotten to, the, I mean, we're, you've probably been past that point now of being so sterilely digital mm-hmm. that like we, we can even see, I mean, heck even in the nineties people were starting to do this of working in some of the older stuff. But I wonder if it not as much being like a statement of like, Hey, retro, remember this shit. It's more of like, 
incorporating modern analog equipment and technology into it in a way that kind of gets some more of that natural feeling back that I think we've lost in the digital age mm-hmm. uh, without completely going. Like, I don't think we're going to completely revert, but um, I'm, I'm interested to see how those two might possibly blend into each other a bit more later on. Now, are you talking like future music technologies are going to evolve that become more analog and that things are tangible? Or are you talking just like people's nostalgia for analog is going to make it blend more with digital? No, I'm thinking like the actual way that music is produced a couple of decades from now could possibly have some modern analog uh, aspect to it in a way that isn't necessarily happening today. True. Um, you know what I, I don't know. You know what I always thought would be super interesting, and I have no idea if this is even possible. It, Flying. The advent of, yes. Flight is impossible. Only God is meant to fly, Peter. Uh, uh, is if with the advent of like three D printers and stuff, right? Hmm. If you could like three D print, like record something, right? Th- convert that into. I guess a, a 3D, I don't know what you call it, a 3D wave, uh, and re- and yeah. print that on the 3D printer as almost like a record, and then uh, create some machine that plays that. That's Does that make really any bizarre. sense? That's that's making me think. Can 3D printing one day get to the point where you could print records, basically, or or something like what you're saying is a different medium but the same like created that same way yeah well i mean they already have 3d printers that can print like in the nanometers so they could oh. probably print a record if they really wanted to i just don't know if anyone is attempted to i'm going to google that right now 3D. i didn't realize they had them at that level of precision yet. boom first 3d printed record Oh my god, that, this article is from 2013. I think we're really behind the Jesus, times. we are old. <laughs> yeah, the first 3D printed record uh, was... Okay, well. they, they printed Nirvana, ironically. Hmm. But yeah, that's definitely a topic for another time, is uh, 3D printing records. That's interesting. That might be like a mini-topic or something. Uh, okay, I'm going to so, write that down. Even if it doesn't become record specifically, I think some kind of... Something like, or like that. Or like, even even if we delve into like, you know, how is 3D printing affecting music? That would be actually a fairly interesting topic, yeah. Yeah. I'd be curious yeah. to know if that's a thing. For sure. Uh, since we've gone, gone completely off the rails, we have reached the end of time. Uh, the end of time. Uh, as far as like, we're, <laughs> up, we're up to date with lo-fi music. Uh, where uh, it goes from here, your guess is as good as mine. Uh, I hope yeah. it stays around because it sounds dope as shit. And I want to continue to listen to chill lo-fi sounds while I study. Yeah, so if you listeners, you know, if you like listening to Beck or if you like listening to YouTube, you can thank the pioneers of lo-fi for making that possible. Yep. If you'd like to thank us for making this episode possible, thank us on Facebook at facebook.com slash getyourfunk. We also have a website called called getyourfunk.com uh, where you can listen to all of our episodes, every single one, all 240 of them. 
even the ones listen, that we reference here that I forgot. But exactly, whatever. If you listen to eight, eight episodes a day, you can listen to all of our stuff in a month. That roughly. Wow. <laughs> hmm. So yeah, this has been your host Kyle, and this has been your host Peter. Thanks for listening, and uh, I don't know what I was going to say after that. So bye. Bye. We love you.